Welcome to episode one, My Words, Our Journey, Defender of Children, a fictional novel. I'm Monty, and I'll be your host through this journey. Chapter one. The pain from his temples inward toward the bridge of his nose was so intense that Miles Humphreys could barely keep his eyes open. He feared that if he closed them, he would succumb to the agony. He had experienced this feeling only once before, three weeks ago when he was squatting in the same spot. He had been waiting for a predator then, too. An intruder, he would make sure, never hurt another child. Miles felt relaxed, with a sense of focused energy, which made the headaches especially strange and unexpected. Miles was writing off this side effect of his mission as nerves. The trade-off was well worth it. Safer children for one man's discomfort, he thought. He had no doubt he was doing the right thing. However, it was human nature to doubt oneself, to look for signs for approval or a lack thereof. Miles knew he was doing the work he was meant to do. No doubts. The migraines were just part of his suffering. Others had suffered so much more. Growing up, Miles had never been one to seek out trouble. While his few friends were jumping makeshift ramps with their bikes, he stood off to the side and envisioned the fatal crash that never came. And while they trekked through the woods in search of adventure, he stayed behind, waiting to hear which one was attacked by a bear. But of course, there was never an attack. Now he, Miles, was taking risks of his own, hunting the worst kind of criminal. He had suffered great loss because of a predator such as the one he was expecting to arrive any moment. In Miles' case, however, the law had failed to accomplish what the nation's founding fathers had intended, and now he felt the need to set things right, in his small way. Miles knew he was not the same man he was just a few weeks earlier, but he was better, or was he worse? He was different, for sure, not content just to stand on the sidelines and be a spectator anymore. No, now he was one of the key players. Would he be on the winning team? He felt he was doing his part. In just the past several weeks, he had become more focused and task-oriented, ready to tackle the responsibilities at hand. Although he was sure of his purpose, he was often overtaken with doubts of dry heaves when he started to dwell on the enormity of his task. Only time would reveal whether or not he would be a better person for what he was doing. Eventually, when his story was told, many would be shocked to discover that Miles didn't do drugs, very rarely drank alcohol, and had no history of mental illness anywhere in his family. Overall, he was a pretty normal guy with a fairly normal job as a carpet salesman. His childhood, which he had shared with three siblings, had been typical for the 70s and 80s and included two loving parents. Would they be proud of him, he wondered? Miles had attended community college and received an associate's degree in business. There he had also met his first and only true love, Amanda Tucker. She was the student on campus who had led every rally that pertained to saving the planet, natural resources, family values, and of course, the animals. She loved the animals. If there was a petition to be signed, doors to be knocked upon, or posters to be made, Amanda would be there. Her smile had been contagious, her energy and enthusiasm for life penetrating, and Miles had fallen hard and fast for the woman who was probably his complete and total opposite. However, it was a short-lived love affair. Amanda, even with all her strength and her love for life and Miles, could not beat the ugly, cruel hand of fate. Overall, Miles was just an average guy who believed he had been given a mission, an assignment from the gods to help the police rid the world of one of its worst elements. The time had come. 
Miles crouched down to dodge the headlights that cast their beams across the interior walls of his modest two-story home. He shut his eyes and envisioned what he wanted to accomplish in the next few moments. If things went according to plan, the stranger would walk through the garage, climb the stairs, up the back deck, and enter the house through the unlocked back door, where he was expecting to be greeted by a 13-year-old boy who had been curiously anticipating his arrival. Miles would catch the stranger off guard, landing a crippling blow across his knees with his trusted Louisville slugger. The bat was long and heavy, and under his control could deliver a disabling strike. And for Miles, the bat was his only weapon of choice. He had never felt comfortable around guns, and had been having a hard time talking himself into purchasing one. While Miles had the predator's full attention, he would explain why they both had been brought to such a terrible circumstance. Wanting to get it right, he had rehearsed the final words he would speak to this subhuman. That he was troubling himself to deliver a flawless speech to a stranger he was about to kill did not escape him. But to Miles, it was important that the man be fully aware of why he was dying. Miles had rehearsed these words. Your poor judgment and evil decision-making has led us both to this place. For the safety of all of our children, you will die here tonight, knowing your past sins and the sins you would have committed here if given the opportunity. Do you have any last words? Miles did not enjoy any of this. No, taking someone's life was not easy thing, to, he guessed, under any circumstances. But he knew if even one child was spared, it would be worth it in the end. The back door opened, and the approaching culprit never saw it coming. The blow, however, did not hit Miles' intended target. Instead, his aim was high, and the bat landed across the man's bulging stomach. Miles heard what he believed to be a laptop computer crashing on the floor, along with other items the stranger had brought to the party. If not for the remainder of his youthful agility, Miles would have had a 240-something pound man on top of him, beating his head into the scuffed wood floor. Instead, Miles was on top, this confused and desperate man who had no idea that death had met him at the door. After repeatedly punching his victim in the nose and face until he became unconscious, Miles ascertained that he had everything he needed to secure his subject to the sturdy, sturdy wooden chair his father had once graced at the head of the Mumphreys' dinner table. The whole dining room set was probably considered an antique. They just didn't make furniture like that anymore. He waited in the dark until he caught his breath. Although he could not, he could still move around pretty well, Miles was not as young as he used to be, and at 40, his body loved to remind him of that fact every chance it got. There had been a time when he could have run three miles, done 100 sit-ups, and lifted weights for 20 minutes and still not been as winded as in this particular moment. His heaving chest, sweaty t-shirt, and thriving headache reminded Miles that he would have to be smarter than his prey, not necessarily more physically fit. Never underestimate the element of surprise, he thought. He couldn't remember where he'd heard that before, but amen. Looking through the man's wallet, Miles learned that Edward Lee Sanders was a teacher at Lincoln Memorial Elementary School, a member of the local Elks Lodge, and the father of four beautiful children who appeared in the wallet-sized photo to range in age from around four to 11 years old. His wife was an attractive woman. Even after four children and everything that mothering must take out of a woman, she looked like she took good care of herself. And, based on the loving expression on her face, she really seemed to adore this man who had shown up to have sex with a 13-year-old boy. As he stood over his passed-out victim, Miles realized how truly pathetic this man was. 
online, he could not have described himself any further from the truth. From an early Brad Pitt in the chat rooms to a late John Goodman crumpled before him on the hardwood floor. Miles had to know what could make Edward and many of the others like him risk everything to fulfill his desire to do something so wicked. In the short time Miles had been going online and posing as various children, he had received more responses from older men than he could even begin to count. When he had first heard of such online lurker lurkers, he had assumed they were a one in a million monster, but he had quickly learned that just wasn't the case at all. The more he thought about the magnitude of the problem and the crimes of the man before him, the matter he got. To the point he couldn't wait any longer, Edward Lee Sanders would not be defiling the innocence of any more children. The first blow was more of a hard jab to the chest with the fat end of the bat. Miles wanted Edward Sanders to be awake for his punishment. He did not feel at the moment that the elementary school teacher deserved to die in his sleep. As he had hoped, his victim regained consciousness. His eyes, which darted from side to side, were red, wet, and pleading. They were the eyes of an animal, knowing it's about to die, but not understanding why. With a swing that carried the weight of his convictions, Miles delivered a crushing strike to the right side of Edward's skull, causing his eyes to roll back in his head and all bodily movement to stop after a brief and chilling series of twitches. The rage inside him had outweighed his need to have questions answered. The bat still in his hand, Miles collapsed to the floor, loaded down with all that came with his decision to take on such evil. In silence he prayed, not for his victim, but rather for the wife and the children left behind, the ones who would not be harmed by this villain in the future. He prayed for himself and finally for those who had not been so lucky, the ones this fiend had violated. Vomit made his way to his throat and into his mouth and brought the fatigued Miles out of his trance-like state. There was still work to be done before he could rest. Chapter 2. Leonard Royal despised everything about his most recent trip. He did not sleep well in hotels. He did not play well with others. Furthermore, he was not suited to long hours of sitting classroom style, listening to people who think they can solve the world's problems by wielding a laser pointer from behind a podium. This technical and detailed training was everything Leonard supposed his superiors had hoped for. For Leonard, however, it had been all he could do to stay awake. It was his feeling that the higher-ups had done this to him intentionally, and most likely with malice. Leonard Royal knew that they were trying to drag him into the new age of police work, but he wanted nothing more than to be left alone with his caseload and non-conforming attitude. Leonard knew he had not taken to change very well, and like so much in the world, the department was definitely changing. More than once, he ignored the department's new policies. He didn't carry a mobile phone, and he seldom bothered to check, let alone answer his email. The brass had taken notice and had issued his first round of punishment, a three-day police geek tech conference about digitizing, whatever that is, crime fighting. Not only were the classroom sessions extremely dull, the food was lousy as well, and his hotel room, not much cleaner than his house. As he drove back to town after the final day of the conference, Leonard couldn't decide what had been worse, knowing he didn't fit in with the rookies who danced around the hotel like it was spring break, or the way, after each long day of sitting, the stiffness in his back and neck reminded him he was every bit of his 58 years. Although he just wanted to be left alone with the old ways of doing his job, he figured that fitting in was going to be his new weapon to fight the power. 
Maybe if he flew under the radar for a while, he'd have some time to breathe before his next great assignment. He could check a few emails, maybe even answer the important ones, and inner office memos, bring them on. After a weighty lunch at Mary's Diner, her meatloaf was to die for, Leonard returned to his office only to find a summons, a handwritten note. The captain knew him too well, said that he was cordially invited upstairs as soon as he returned. Maybe he's getting a promotion, he thought. This made him smile as he grabbed his blazer and badge. Leonard wondered why going to the captain's office always felt like that first trip to the principal's office. He got that same anxious feeling every time, and yet he still hoped that the sweating and nerves would go away eventually. He had spent 28 years on the force, and it was still the same as the first day. So far, eventually, had never come. He had outlasted seven captains and four partners, and today his face betrayed the shamed flush of a 10-year-old who had been caught stealing candy and was about to receive his punishment. Go on in, Leo, Mildred said without looking up from her new Reader's Digest. He's waiting on you. Leonard gritted his teeth. After all this time, how could she not know he never went by Leo? Everything he'd ever signed, every voicemail he'd ever left, Every time he had ever called to ask for anything, not once had he referred him to himself as Leo. He could dwell on the small things to a point of absurdity. It had caused him many relationships over the years, both personal and professional. He knew this about himself and still had trouble letting go. Leo, for the cripe's sake. He had been around long enough to see Mildred go from a new hire fresh out of grad school to the old bag gatekeeper. Still, Leo... He'd been sitting across from the captain's desk for what seemed like 20 minutes when he realized that he knew very little about Captain Tripp Wilborn. At this particular moment, the one word Leonard would use to describe the captain would be disrespectful. That he'd called Leonard up to the top floor had been bad enough. Now the captain kept him waiting while he talked on the phone without even acknowledging that Leonard was in the room. He had not summoned Leonard, Leonard up here to listen to him talk about to someone about stocks he should have purchased two years ago. For that, he was sure. This was just icing on the cake. Waiting was on Leonard's long list of annoyances, maybe even in the top five. What could he possibly be here for? Thinking over the events of the last several weeks, Leonard could come up with nothing. He did not like surprises either. That was another item on the list of pet peeves. I'll call you back in five and we'll talk about the project a little more, Leonard heard as he glanced over. All the captain's achievements probably displayed behind him on the wall. The captain stood up. Leo, I need your help, the captain stated as he rose and moved around to the front of the desk, skipping over all and any small talk that others may find appropriate. The close proximity of the man made Leonard uncomfortable, and he found himself looking up to avoid staring straight into the man's crotch. It was a strain on his neck. What choice did he have? I'm not sure if you're aware of the case that came up a few weeks ago involving the junior varsity basketball coach over at Hughes Private School, the captain moved away from the desk, turning his back to Leonard and focused on a spot on the wall. Leonard was not sure where this was going, so he decided to keep his trap shut. He had heard about the case only in passing, and what he literally had heard was disturbing. Cap continued, cued by Leonard's silence. A body was found this morning, same MO as the JV coach's case. I need your help on it. I want you to re review the case file ASAP. Get your head in the case, and I'll have everything we've got on the latest on your desk as soon as it's on paper. Leonard realized that he wouldn't be getting any downtime to catch up on his email, 
and it was too late to choose his excuse for declining the case. Before you try and get out of this, I just want to say that I consider this a personal favor to me. Cat paused and looked away, and then he looked Leonard square in the eyes. The body found this morning, it was my son-in-law's. Anything you're working on will be turned over to Patterson and Gibbs. Anyone gives you any grief, see me. For the first time since coming in the captain's office, Leonard could see the strain on the man's face. As usual, he had several good, if not true, excuses ready for an occasion like this. This time, however, excuses somehow didn't seem appropriate. As Leonard struggled internally, Captain Wilbur returned to his desk, picked up his phone. Leonard took that as his cue to leave, but before he reached the door, he heard his name and turned back around. So close. Holding the phone to his shoulder and looking directly into Leonard's eyes, Cap gave him a stern yet thankful stare. Leonard, you call or come. See me if there's anything you need, anything at all. Your new partner will be here before three. Make it work. It's important. He called him Leonard, he thought. Thoughts were spinning around his head like feathers in a windstorm, and Leonard could not grab any one in particular. New partner? Who would they pair him with? Captain asking for his help? Why? A connection to the case last week? What could that be about? The only thing Leonard could recall about the first victim was that he had been, been believed to be involved with child porn. Could the captain really want him to get involved in something like that? Was this punishment as well? The man found this morning is my son-in-law. Child porn, new partner. These were things Leonard never imagined he would hear today or ever, especially in relation to himself. As he walked back to his desk, he had every feeling that everyone had known about the meeting agenda before he had. Some of his co-workers were staring at him as he walked by and others were trying their best to avoid eye contact. He preferred the latter. As promised, there were two files placed neatly on his desk, each with the name Marcus Whitfield printed on the labels applied to the top left of each folder. Had the files been placed there even before Leonard had made it into the captain's office? Maybe. Did it matter? Not so much. With everything else going on, he did not need anything else to give him anxiety. Let some things go by without superanalyzing them, he thought. Is that what makes overpriced shrinks? Is that what overpriced shrinks will tell you over the years? They had. He hadn't listened. He fought the urge to leave and instead sat down at his desk, working hard to find himself make to find himself and make himself comfortable. It was time to learn about the life and death of Mr. Marcus Whitfield. It did not take Leonard long to find himself in the middle of what could only be described as a nasty situation. He sat up straight and stretched his arms over his head. He was anything but comfortable with what he had taken in over the last few minutes. From all accounts, Whitfield had been an upstanding citizen, not counting two speeding tickets. He had a nice storybook family. He was a wonderful coach and teacher at one of the area's finest schools. He seemed to have everything any man could ask for, yet the man was dead, and it seemed he had been a pervert with a fetish for little boys. As he reviewed the police report, Leonard learned that the body was found alongside a country road about 12 miles outside of town. Whitfield had been found naked and beaten with no clues other than a single piece of paper that had been shoved in his mouth. Leonard stared at the uh, photocopy of the only piece of evidence left at the scene. It read, I'm not sorry for what I've done. Men who prey on children must be punished. Our laws allow too many to remain on the street to prowl. It is not my wish to do this, but my duty to help in any small way. 
until the day when all of our children can be safe. Yours truly, the Defender of Children. Great, Leonard thought. This was just what he wanted at this stage of his career, a child-molesting-freak-vigilante combo. Before Miles could fully take in how this could relate to the information his captain had given him only a short time ago, he sensed someone had approached his desk and hovered. He slowly looked up from the file and took in the man before him, who appeared to be half his age, and if the wide grin was any indication, twice as glad to be there. Leonard had never been good with names, but he knew immediately that he should know the name of the young man standing before him. Hi, Mr. Royal. I'm Kenny Costco. I'm told you're expecting me, the young man flashed a movie star smile and extended his hand. That was it. That smile. Leonard stood up. He had seen this guy's face before. He had seen him in the paper and on the news shows more than once. This guy was a glory hog. If memory served Leonard well, if memory served Leonard well, Kenny had worked on several high-profile cases over the past few years, all with positive results. From what he could remember, this guy loved the press, and they loved him. Perfect. While thinking the worst, Leonard made small talk with Kenny and tried to figure out how to get out of this whole mess. Leonard felt like it had been thrown into quicksand who could feel himself getting more and more sucked in. How long had he been back in the office? What, like half a day? Resigned to the fact that he was in this case for the long haul with no way out, Leonard decided he could be gracious enough to let his new colleague catch up on the case details and handed him the files. At Kenny's request, they moved to one of the large interrogation rooms so they could spread out a little. Within an hour, a full-size whiteboard arrived, followed by two laptop computers with printers and four fancy-looking phones. Leonard thought the place was starting to look like the set of Star Trek. I hope you don't mind, Kenny said. The captain asked what I might need, and I took the liberty of requesting a few things. I found it helpful to be surrounded by the things you need so you don't have to go searching. If I missed anything, just say the word. Kenny's tone wasn't condescending or arrogant, but rather almost apologetic. Leonard just wasn't ready for that. It had been easier if the young man had intentionally stepped on his toes. Then Leonard would have something to work with, something to complain about, and something to hold on to. This whole nice act was something he just wasn't used to. No problem. If anything else, uh, if nothing else, we try to be accommodating. Two can play this nice game, he thought. Besides, it couldn't hurt to be seen as the cooperative type. 